Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth-seeking. I'm your host, Matt Silver, and for episode 12, our final episode of the year, we are taking a look back at some of our favorite podcast moments from 2021. This is something I cannot do alone, so please welcome producer extraordinaire and newly minted guest host, Abby Daly. Hello, and I wish you saw me. I had my arms well welcome open. <laughs> we could all feel it. Abby, appearing on two episodes in a row basically makes you a minor celebrity. I hope you can handle it. This is true. Local celebrity right here. And appearing for the first time on the podcast, we are also bringing in Truth Well Spoken's producer and editor, Andy Fontana. Hey, Matt. Glad to be here. Andy, you have edited every episode of the podcast to date, including most recently editing episode 11 over Thanksgiving break. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, it's been a fun challenge and something new I picked up uh, as a part of the podcast. You are ridiculous and we all appreciate you. Uh, And finally, another Truth Well Spoken alum. We're bringing back the newest member of the podcast team, Cassidy Cardone. Hey, Matt. Hi, everyone. Cassidy Cardone here, longtime listener and new newest producer. So excited <laughs> to be joining the team. <laughs> and Cassidy, you may be new to the team, but you've already made it onto the podcast twice. What is your secret? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think listening definitely helps. So maybe that's a tip for <laughs> all our fans listening. Gets you nice. somewhere. So in preparation for today's episode, we all listened to the past year of recordings, and we each selected two clips that were particularly meaningful, and we're going to share those with you now. So Abby, you're up first. What have you got? Well, I have to be honest, one of my favorite ones was the most recent Fexi commercial that I was your special host on. Uh, That one specifically kind of hit hard at home, being a female and being able to speak to and relate to the um, product. Fexi is a non-hormonal birth control, and they really talked about breaking down the stigma. And in fact, I would love for everyone to just take a quick listen and hear what they have to say about breaking down the stigma, because it really hits hard at home. Was there anything specific the commercial did to help break down the stigma of this topic? And kind of, you mentioned messaging. So how did you mold the messaging to help alleviate the stigma? Um, I think, well, just the opening line, welcome to my vagina is bold and starting to bring a word to the surface that's not often said and makes people uncomfortable, honestly. But we we knew we had to do it, and so did the client, and and we stood behind that. It's almost like going back to like the whole female team. Like you know, you what you stand for, how you have your experiences, and you just have to come right out and and say it. Yeah, I also think this is, you know, maybe the only, maybe the first birth control commercial that talks about sex or alludes to sex and talks about it in a fun manner and something that should be enjoyed and enjoyable and not to steal one of Deb's words in one of her strategy documents, a buzzkill all the time, you know, and not seen as just like medicine and like just so 
medical and procedural and you go to your doctor and it's an uncomfortable, horrible conversation and you don't want to be on it and it's just such a downer. So I think, you know, part of it was, hey, you've got control of your body and, you know, and sex and it's a birth control and yes, and then, and that relates to sex, which should be fun and enjoyable and on your terms and so should your birth control. And so I just think the kind of whole approach to the category was different. You know, when you look at other birth control ads, we weren't just trying to sell a prescription drug. We were trying to talk to women about their bodies and their sex life. So that was definitely a a strong message that they shared about really their overall approach. What did you guys think? Yeah, Abby, I love how that team really embraced the uncomfortable and almost, you know, like they said, that first line of, the commercial really, really jolts listeners a little bit. And even that alone, I think, just points to, you know, why is there a stigma? Why are we uncomfortable with it? And I thought it was really powerfully done by that team. Yeah, and well done, Abby. Um, That was a fantastic episode. Andy, you're up next. Thanks, Matt. So when we got into the podcast, one of our goals was really to deal with industry issues and, and things going on. And, you know, creative is such a big part of our industry. We wanted to have some strong creative topics throughout the year. You know, we interviewed influential people within the uh, agency network. We had uh, creative teams interviewed. We interviewed a photographer. We did all these things. But w- the one thing that stands out for me is we got to interview our global chief creative officer for the whole network, Matt Eastwood. And he came in to talk about uh, the awards, basically going through how award season works, what it's like to be a judge, and a little bit of a behind the curtain. But really my favorite story from his episode is he got to talk about standing up for a good idea. Uh, He went into in-depth about an idea he had for a creative campaign he worked on. The client really wasn't into it. And so he had the opportunity to stand up for it, really push for it. And, um, well, let's just listen to Matt tell the story. I was working uh, leading McDonald's uh, out of Australia. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, again, amazing piece of business to, to, to work on. And we'd done a brand new campaign, which was pretty different to what they'd been doing. And the client, you know, the client was great. She'd approved it, the whole thing. We shot uh, seven spots. Um, and I took the rough cuts to the client uh, when they were done. And uh, she sort of, when I showed them, she had this kind of sullen look on her face. And she said, out of the gate, she said, that will go to air over my dead body. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, really? <laughs> so you hate it? Is that- absolutely hated it, like hated it. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, we've just spent all this money. We've shot it. It's done. Uh, and, and actually I, the work is great, but, but the problem was, uh, we, the way we showed food in the ads was kind of irreverent, you know, you know, typical McDonald's ads, you know, the food's always like beautifully held by perfect hands and the bite is precise. And we were showing food being sort of like, someone with a fistful of fries, like just like shoving it down their throat. So her feeling was it's just irreverent. We would never show our food like that. So she was like, it'll go to air over my dead body. So I had to get her from that to we'll go to air. with. We've got to get this on. Oh and it was, it was just like talk about an impossible task, but it ended up with me. I said, look, let's, this was the CMO. I said, let's you and I uh, go, let's meet tomorrow. We'll go for breakfast. 
and I'll tell you why I think the work is great. And, and <laughs> you know, we were talking about trust before and it came down to that. It ended up, this breakfast ended up with the two of us holding hands across oh the God. table and her crying, me with a tear in my eye, like, I believe you, I believe in you. <laughs> let's do it let's go for it and she said look i'm you know i'm skeptical but uh let's put it to air and i'm like okay um and and it did go on to be incredibly successful and it won a bunch of awards and uh ironically uh it was very rare for work to, that was made in australia to be picked up by other countries but that work was picked up and run in 30 different countries around the world and so you know she became a bit of a celebrity as a result of that work, wow. uh, which was an amazing journey, you know, and, and, but she was uh, wonderfully gracious about it and sort of said, you know, I, I eat my hat because you, uh, you know, you, you convinced me that we were doing the right thing. And it was because you believed we did, we were doing the right thing. And, you know, now, yes, with all my confidence back, I love the work and it's brilliant. So, uh, you know, that was, that was, wow. uh, an interesting sort of journey from that's, that's never going to see the light of yeah um and that was probably the toughest moment i've ever had of like how you know i've had nervous clients before but never one that said that go to air over my dead body wow. so wow <laughs> that's but, amazing so it was just great to have matt come in and tell a story about standing up for your work having a strong creative idea and not giving up on it it was just such an inspiring story it's a great story, and it's so funny hearing our guest host, Mikey Knuckles, just kind of cracking up in the background and being like, oh, my God, wow. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's move on to our next one. Cassidy, I think you're up. Sure. So one of the episodes I wanted to point out a moment from was episode six, which very self-explanatory title is Hillary, Hillary Gentile discusses her new book. So Hillary is our global chief strategy director, and she really shares the details of a book that she recently co-authored called Brand Plan Rx, The Marketer's Guide to Building a Thriving Health and Wellness Brand. Um, and it's really, if you aren't familiar with the book, it's almost like a textbook or driver's manual for our industry, which is something that we really haven't had before. Um, and it's a really excellent read if you haven't uh, taken a look yet, and it's great to reference as a strategist or anyone really working on a brand as you go along the process. So there was a, a great part of this episode where Hillary talks about how everyone really approaches brand planning differently and how that's okay. There's no one right answer to a brand plan or a positioning statement or any other element. So I'd love to share a clip uh, from, from that moment. So how, I mean, it seems to be one of the most challenging things. How do you do it and how do you make sure that you're keeping yourself honest in the process? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I admire you, Rodney. I am really happy that you're part of us. Um, you're an incredible thinker. And I, and, I, and I mentioned that purposefully because if you went into a room and I went into a different room, whether it's virtual or not, and we assess the marketplace and took a look at what consumers need and understand the connection points um, and really, really think about what that brand or asset at the time has, you and I might come up with two very different superpowers for a brand. And to be honest, both of them might be incredibly effective. And I mentioned that because there isn't a right answer 
there is only an answer that you feel uh, that that you feel you've done the due diligence about understanding how this, and it's not even a brand yet. Sometimes, right, a product or an asset can actually make a difference in someone's life, based on what they're contending with, how the winds are shifting, and what what um, is already out there uh, that you want to try to create a uh, purple cow around. So. Um, I don't think it's easy. I think you have to do your homework to understand the place that you want to own, but I don't think that there is only one answer. I think it depends also on where you source and your co-creation of the group. And you and I do share a superpower. Great shoes. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I think you win on that. Mine are just <laughs> have platforms against them more so, but yeah, I think you win. <laughs> So I thought that was a really uh, refreshing reminder that, you know, there's really no one way to, to do the work that we do. And it's all about just taking in the insights that we have, getting creative with it um, and building a, a plan from there. I like that, Cassidy. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that was another fantastic episode. Uh, and the chemistry between the two of them was was so much fun to listen to. Um, Okay, so for my first clip, I went with episode two, Scott Takes on His Own Disease. This was where Scott Sisti discussed what it was like marketing a treatment for his own disease state, type 2 diabetes. And um, at one point while working on this product, Scott openly shared a very intense and, and personal story with his colleagues and his clients. So here's the clip of Scott describing that moment. So I'm glad you brought that up, Scott, because I found an email that you wrote two years ago, if you can believe it was two years ago, um, to about 50 of your colleagues with the subject line, a boy in his hypo. And uh, it was basically recounting the story of a pretty severe hypoglycemic event you'd had the night before. Um, what made you decide to publicly share something like that? I, I think that the impetus for that was actually the, uh, a conversation about, like hypo had come up in, in, uh, in a conversation the next day. Um, and I, I, it's a long, two years is a long time ago. Uh, I don't remember what the, but somebody, somebody asked a question about it and I had explained it live in the, in the conversation. And then when I got back to my, my office, I was thinking, you know, there's probably a better there's probably a better more thorough way to to explain that and i and i think the way to do that is to is to share a personal experience i, I also um i sent that over to the the client um as well to to share out as they saw fit to to the team because the same struggle on their end you know they certainly they had a significant number of people working on this brand that that also had type 1 or type 2 diabetes um but, uh, you know, uh, again, hypo, unless you experience one, it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a word. It's just some, it's just something that somebody else warns you about until you experience it for yourself or, or have someone and I, full transparency, Matt, I was, I was leaning in a little bit on, um, I'm sending this to, 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 I think at least a, at least a small percentage of these 50 people care about me. And so I was leaning in a little bit on like, I, I have a personal connection with these people. And maybe if if it's coming from me versus uh, like this, an anonymous source, um, they'll they'll feel a, a greater connection to, to what that feels like for somebody. 
And so Scott's a good friend of ours, and it meant a lot that he came on the show to speak about something so personal. And of course, he has no shortage of insights uh, in everything that he does. In fact, I, I remember uh, right before we started recording, I, I said something like, I'll cue you with questions to help facilitate the conversation. And he was like, he's like, what are you trying to say, that I don't stop talking? I was like, yep. <laughs> That's got it. Right. Yep. Matt, I remember that email because I was working with him on that brand and we work on different disease states every day, but just hearing his story on someone that you physically care about and you work with every day and you look them in the eye and just knowing the experience that they had, it really hits hard at home and makes what we do even more gratifying that we're helping people and changing their lives impactfully. Yeah. Um, all right, Abby, you are up next for your second clip. I'm up next. Okay, this is hard to decide. I really enjoyed the episode we did about social influence in healthcare with um, We Go Health. Really, it was to under sit down with a rare disease patient leader and the business development lead of an influencer marketing firm and talk about a personal experience and have a discussion around partnering with patient leaders and co-creation with patient advocacy groups. We're really moving in the direction in this industry of doing more patient materials, but we really need to understand patients more to be successful at it. And I think that's where we can really pull in patient advocacy groups. And everything about this episode was amazing, but what really stuck out to me that I wasn't quite sure on and I was misinterpreting was social influencers. Um, but actually, you know what? I'm not going to talk anymore. Let's take a quick listen and have you guys quickly hear on what is a social influencer and what's a patient leader. And are those two names interchangeable? You know, it's very interesting because I think um, somebody asked me this recently, and I tend to say a patient leader. Um, it even feels like I'm bragging a little bit by saying that because I don't really, I am a leader, I should say. I do recognize that I'm a leader, but it does seem like I'm bragging sometimes. And when you say influencer, I think that word sometimes makes me feel like untrustworthy, um, an influencer. Now, I get it from the marketing perspective. Influencer sounds much more sellable, much more important than leader. So it is an interesting term. And I'd be curious because most of my most of my fellow leaders call themselves leaders. But I would be curious to see how many identify as an influencer and if that will shift as time goes on, because it seems like that is a, a little bit of a newer word. And again, as we're intersecting with the healthcare community and the pharmaceutical community, I think influencer has a little bit more power to that group. Yeah, so I thought that was just pretty eye-opening to hear about that. And later on in the episode, they talk through the importance of having real life patient leaders, because especially on social, they can respond more and be more visible to those folks that they're reaching out to, as opposed to a celebrity who's on social that might have a disease state and has every right to be in that same environment, but they don't have the time or the capacity to be responding and communicating with patients as intimately as a patient leader might. So. The entire episode is amazing, and if you want to take a listen more, check it out. 
Yeah, I've actually used quotes from that episode in several projects. It was great. Um, all right, Andy, clip number two, you're up. Thanks, Matt. So for my second clip, um, really wanted to talk a little bit about a um, proof of concept we did. Perhaps everyone doesn't know that our early start with the podcast started with a internal project we called the Working From Home podcast as a ramp up to doing Truth Well Spoken. Now, uh, Matt, I'm going to I can't believe this is the first time I'm going to be asking you this. You've done all the music for this podcast as well as the Working From Home podcast. Uh, we're about to play the Working From Home uh, theme. Matt, tell us a little bit about how, where does your musical talent come from? Is this something you've uh, done as a hobby or do you have formal music training? <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I, yeah, I mean, I started playing piano when I was six. I don't really remember what happened since then. I, I'm definitely not a, a musical trained, uh, kind of guy, but, um, with the, the working from home podcast was right after we started working from home. So I think I recorded that one, like on my bed with my iPhone. Uh, and then the truth well spoken one, I think was the one and only time I used the keyboard that sits in my office dormant most of the year. That's great. So with that, let's play the Working From Home theme song that we included in episode three, Healthcare Workers on the Frontline. Working from home, working from home, we're all working from home. Yeah, I miss that song. How can you not bob your head to that? Working from home, working from home, we're all, we're working from home. Yeah, my kids will still sing that to me sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> it awesome. definitely brought me a lot of joy in those early working from home days. It was great. Yeah, we all needed a little joy those days. Uh, all right, Cassidy, you're up. All right. So the the next episode I wanted to share some moments from is episode 10, which was our diversity, equity, and inclusion roundtable. So I was very lucky to be part of a group of panelists who represented cross-functional groups within the McCann Health Network. So we had uh, representatives from HR, strategy, account, um, and so many other groups, as well as across the world. So we had some representatives from Toronto, Hong Kong, Australia, UK, and North America, which was awesome. And we had so many great discussions and covered a lot of interesting topics from day for meeting to diversity in representation in the media and advertising and even just how diversity is defined so differently depending on the market and, and the cultural uh, tendencies there. So really great conversations were had and um, there was so many great conversations. I'm gonna cheat a little bit and share two uh, clips because I couldn't pick just one. But the first one I wanna share is Michelle Garnier, head of HR in London talked a little bit about diversity of thought and what that phrase really means. So I will share that. Interesting. So you said a phrase that I've heard, but um, I wonder if you might uh, be able to say more about it, this idea of diversity of thought. Could you explain that a little bit, unpack that for us? I guess my understanding of the diversity of thought is that I think we all understand ourselves and we all think in a particular way. And I think that, you know, so we're more inclined to perhaps be 
more comfortable with people that think in a similar way to us or might reflect our values or, or things like that. Um, and so really what we're trying to do is bring in people that ha have different values, were brought up in different ways, because that obviously will affect the way you think about things and the way that you approach a problem or, you know, tackle a particular subject matter. And that's really what I think create gives the ability to create ideas is to have different people that think differently and that can bring different ideas to the table and so really our goal is to make sure that we're not necessarily hiring everybody that thinks in the same way because you might end up getting the same ideas over and over again and actually we're trying we want to make sure that you know the idea generation that that we bring is innovative it's unique you know it pushes boundaries and you know it's really about the quality of the product and I think the best way to achieve that is by bringing different people in from different backgrounds that perhaps think differently and that could be across not just socioeconomic group but it could be across you know um, different neurodiverse ways of thinking obviously people that come from different um, right perhaps religious or you know race backgrounds and things like that so really thinking about those sorts of things. I really liked how they talked about diversity and not only you know it's not only a responsibility but it also can really have a true benefit for not only our audiences and who are reaching but also for our clients and, and for our businesses and how diversity of thought can really propel propel those ideas. So I do want to share one other clip because I couldn't help myself. So the other really interesting topic that we covered during this episode is the origin of the conscious inclusion C. So this was a new addition over the past year or so. And we got to speak to some of the two of the creators of this conscious inclusion C. And I loved how they talked about how this really got started and where the inspiration came from. Yeah, so the 6C, um, you'll be familiar with it. It came out of the Day for Meaning a couple of years back, uh, 2019, I think it was, uh, in the Karen Melbourne office, um, where we were discussing considering the issue of conscious inclusion within the work that we do uh, for our clients and how we could better represent society through our work. Um, Australian society is extremely diverse and people from all over the world calling this country at home. So we needed to, to try and have a conversation around how the creative output, how the strategic creative output that we were producing um, was truly representative of that. Um, so as you all know, the, uh, the five C's was McCann's proprietary tool for developing strategy and creative um, with truth and meaning in the five C's process. But there seemed to be an opportunity to directly focus in on um, diversity and the opportunity that thinking about diversity would bring. So adding an extra C to represent conscious inclusion, the idea there was born. Um, and what it really does is, is force us to find insights specifically relating to people of, of all different backgrounds um, in all situations rather than just the majority. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Charlie. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think we, we had a lot of debate after the day for meaning about whether conscious inclusion should should just sit across the five C's and then it becomes a kind of lens that you look through each of the five C's against. But but it was a very deliberate decision to make it, it its own one because it really forces forces you to, when you've got that blank bit of paper in front of you and you've done the other C's and you've got conscious inclusion, where do I even begin on thinking about who I'm, who's not being included? 
um, it, it really forces you, you can't escape that. You have to be consciously inclusive in that moment. Yeah, conscious inclusion, you know, since the addition of the conscious inclusion C to our strategic process, it's really become so explicitly part of the way that we work now. And I think it's really helped us think outside of the box. It's helped us push ourselves and ask uncomfortable questions and get us to new places for the brand, as well as understanding the responsibility we have in addressing target audiences that may be feeling left out from the brand or the disease state or whatever context they're in. So I thought that was that was great to hear how it got started. Yeah, those were two great clips, Cassidy. It's really cool now going back and listening to all these episodes. We've been very lucky to have some amazing guests that make us look really good. Um, so uh, with that, for today's final clip, I selected episode seven, Andy Chamlin and how to win a pitch. So Andy has worked on over 5,000 pitches uh, across the last decade. And my interview with him was not only one of the most fun to record, but also to research and prepare for. Uh, and honestly, whenever I work on a pitch now, I can't help but think about everything he said, especially this clip about getting the clients to fall in love. Andy, you often use the following quote in your presentations. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. There's so much behind the process of pitching that we'll get into. But at the end of the day, we're trying to get the clients to fall in love, right? So how do we even begin to do something like that? So that's awesome, Matt, thank you. Listen, first I'll just say a little something to you about falling in love. So Matt, if I was gonna get you to fall in love with me in just 10 minutes or the next 20 minutes that we're gonna spend together, I would not sit here and tell you how much smarter I am about things than you are. Um, that's not how I would get you excited. But how I would get you excited is by telling you an interesting and exciting story, e either about myself or about someone else. And so that is what's so important in terms of getting people to fall in love with you, is making them excited and having them be interested in what you're telling them. Now, what I'll just tell you is that we do this all the time, and in pitches, people wind up only getting around 10 minutes to speak. When you think about a pitch, oh, it's 90 minutes, I can take my time, I can talk to them about stuff. It's actually not true. Each individual presenter gets about 10 minutes and you've got to excite that person that's listening to you to get them to want to work with you. So Andy was also the most gracious guest. He said something like, thank you, or that's awesome after every question I asked him. So he, uh, he set a very high standard for all future guests. And he kept it PG. <laughs> yeah, we did tell him that we could we could mark the episode as uh, explicit if he needed, but he did not. Um, so with that, that's it for our clips. But before we wrap today, I'd like to share a quick anecdote. This is one of my favorite stories. I often look back on the moment when we were about to launch the podcast in March of 2020, a date that's painful to say and will forever live in infamy because that was when the WHO declared a global pandemic, of course. So we put the podcast on hold, but the reason I bring this up is because our producer, Abby, that's you, Abby, <laughs> uh, sent us a message that I actually managed to find, and I'm going to read a piece of it now. It said, 
Hi, friends. I know everyone is battling their own challenges more than ever with the new situation, but I also know we worked so hard to get where we are. So wanted to find out what the team feels comfortable doing with next steps. Is this an opportunity more than ever to start interviewing people about how to stay creative and connected given the current situation? Don't want to see this as a lost cause, but more of an opportunity to rise up. I actually get chills reading that, Abby. Well done. Aww. Uh, I'm glad I so, it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got us all motivated to continue building something creative during an impossible time. And here we are almost two years later finishing episode 12 of what is now the network's global podcast. So uh, that's my favorite moment. And I'd be remiss if I didn't circle back to each of you one last time. Cassidy, I know you're still a newbie, but can you share a favorite moment, a learning, a thought, anything personal about working on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I've only been part of it for a couple of months so far, but I'm a big fan of working with this group here. So it's been really fun so far. And I think, you know, I just love working with the team and seeing the behind the scenes. There's a lot that goes into this that you don't really think about when you're just listening. Um, so it's really great to see it all come together and all the hard work. And I've really loved brainstorming with the team and just thinking how we can cover new ideas that everyone around the agency is interested in sharing. So just trying to find those places for everyone's voices. Great. How about you, Andy? Yeah. So, I mean, to echo what Cassidy said, like working with all the producers on the podcast you know, it, it's very different when you're working on this type of project. Uh, you know, everybody's here working on this because they want to, not because they have to. And so working on passion projects, it's it's very different. You form different type of relationships with your coworkers working on something like this. So, yeah, that that's something that's going to stay with me for a long time. And personally, I, I love that I got to learn how to edit audio. Like, that's a skill I'll have forever now. Yeah. Uh, and you've uh, been kicking ass with that. If I'm allowed to say ass, if not, Andy, <laughs> cut it out, please. Uh, <laughs> Abby, what have you got? Uh, it's hard to just pick one, and it's kind of a summary of what Cassidy and Andy said. It's the relationships and connections we kind of built through doing this. Again, this was just a couple of us who loved working together and had a passion for just being creative. And through along the way, we've met so many people uh, partnered with so many people, connected different offices together. So that alone is amazing. And it just is fresh breath of air because we get so bottled down during the day in the day-to-day -day work that we sometimes don't come up to air to realize all the creative juices we have going on. And this is just like a free space. I feel that we can all just freestyle and have fun but also doing something collaborative that's very important to the industry and our company and i want to thank you guys for bringing out all all of the the best side of us this year this has been great yeah very well said abby completely agree um and to that point uh this is my final episode as host of the truth well spoken podcast and I also just want to say uh, it has easily been the best part of my year. Um, thank you all so much for going on this crazy adventure with me. And I'm thrilled that you'll be continuing the podcast in 2022. And I cannot wait to listen to it. Thanks, Matt. You've been the heart and soul. You've been the front man of the band for the podcast. So we really appreciate all your hard work and effort uh, over the last year. And who knows? Maybe we'll bring you back for an interview one day. <laughs> 
I will come running back anytime. Uh, thanks so much. Um, okay, that's all we've got for today. We want to thank everyone who made Truth Well Spoken possible over the last year, including all of our guests and guest hosts and the incredible McCann Health Network. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice and let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at mccannhealth.com. My fellow podcast producers are Abby Daly, Andy Fontana, and Cassidy Cardone. And a special shout out to Steve Hoffman, who was also producer on the first nine episodes. Until next time, I'm Matt Silver, and this has been Truth Well Spoken.